0: Welcome to the Digital News Report 2020, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford. I'm Federica Cherubini. In every episode, we dive deep into one of the aspects covered by our, our report, the most comprehensive piece of research on news consumption worldwide. I'm the Head of Leadership Development at the Institute, and for this podcast, I'll be joined by the authors of the report. Our guest today is Richard Fletcher, Senior Research Fellow and co-author of the report. With Richard, we'll discuss how and why people are paying for online news. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Hi, Federica. The digital news report, as a context, um, is the most comprehensive comparative report on news consumption in the world. And it's based on data collected by an online survey of more than 80,000 people in 40 markets. The bulk of the report um, is based on data collected in January and February, just before the coronavirus hit many of these countries. Um, but it also draws on updated surveys in April at the height of the lockdown in, in many of these countries. Um, The report is an essential guide for any senior media executive, um, but it's also useful for anyone willing to learn more about the news ecosystem today. Now, Richard, back on our main topic for the day. Since the beginning um, of the coronavirus crisis, we've seen a surge in news demand from the audience and a consequent bump in traffic news site, which has led to some optimism that a surge in paid subscription would soon follow. Um, but at the same time, it's a time where many people's finances have been badly affected, meaning that they may have to um, reconsider what they can and cannot afford. Um, and the crisis has maybe just accelerated the need for publishers to rely more prominently on reader revenue as print revenue revenue has shrunk even more during lockdowns and advertising revenue has also been affected. Um, so in this year report, um, you took a more detailed look at online news subscriptions and did a separate online survey in three specific countries um, that focus on paying for online news. So from your findings, um, are people actually um, paying for news and what they're paying for?
1: Well, yeah, just to say that the, the survey was conducted before coronavirus, so we're not quite sure yet what the long term effect of the of the crisis will be on paying for news but in the data that we have uh from uh february we can see that people are paying in lots of different ways at the moment so those that are paying uh are around between sort of 10% and and 20% in most countries with quite a lot of variation in between and people are paying in all sorts of different ways so There's all sorts of different offers uh, available from publishers uh, and it's almost like no single offer is is exactly the same. But we can see that subscriptions to a a single brand are the most common way of paying uh, for online news at the moment. And within that, there's a split between digital only subscriptions where people are just paying for digital content and then print digital bundles, which are kind of a combination of of print and uh, digital in one go. Uh, of course, we're not quite sure sometimes whether people feel like they're only paying for the print product and getting the digital one for free, but they are an important source of revenue uh, in many countries. At the moment, we don't see huge numbers of people subscribing to services that bring together uh, multiple sources of news, like Apple Plus is an example of this. Uh, but these, you know, there are some signs that these are starting to take off uh, in, in the US, uh, and they may just need some time before they, they really start to grow. Uh, Paying for single articles is is in a similar position. This is something that's offered by companies like Blendle. And also in some countries, people are are still paying for single digital editions in in PDF format. But this is quite a small part of the market. Uh, And then there's donations. So uh, these are particularly important for some publishers like The Guardian uh, in the UK. And a significant minority are are giving money to news organisations in this way.
0: What does the research say about the motivation that lead people to pay for news online?
1: Well, I think, <clears throat> I mean, this is kind of the the million dollar question for many for many publishers, uh, and of course, people will pay for things that they they find value in. But sort of getting a bit more specific, I think there are there are three or four things that we can highlight. So The first is that. Um, Uh, A lot of people say that they paid because they found that the journalism on offer distinctive in some way. So they thought it was better quality uh, than uh, the news they could get from uh, free sources or that there were particular journalists they liked at that particular publication. Uh, Then there's uh, convenience. So uh, this is the way that information uh, is packaged. The experience of using uh, a website or app. Uh, which of course is, can be unique to the particular publisher, and there's also purpose. So what we mean by this is 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 a, is a feeling that journalism needs support uh, in some way. So around half of people who are paying in the US uh, say that they the reason they paid is because they wanted to help fund good journalism uh, in some way. Of course, there are other. Things as well. So, I mean, so for example, the sort of price is, is, is always important, but I think this is, this is of secondary importance uh, than the, the three reasons I mentioned earlier, just because um, you kind of make the decision that you want to, to pay for something first and then perhaps decide amongst publishers uh, based on who's offering uh, the best deal or the best membership benefits and so on.
0: We know there is also a group that says they never pay um, for online news. Um, why is that?
1: Well, you're right. I mean, the, uh, about 50% of people uh, in the UK say that they would never pay for news. Uh, and in some countries, the figure is, is a bit lower. But it's certainly true that there's a, there's a fairly large group of people who, when we ask them in the survey, say that nothing would, would currently uh, convince them uh, to pay and I think that one of the the reasons for this is that um, there's simply a lot of free news available uh, at the moment, and for some people uh, this is good enough. Uh, and in some and in some countries, particularly those with uh, sort of strong, well-funded public broadcasters, then there's a there's always going to be a a, a sort of high-quality news source that is offering news that is free uh, at the point of consumption. Um, and I think this this has a, a huge uh, impact upon how people think about paying for, for online news. I should say that, that some of the countries that have uh, the highest levels of online news payment also have public service broadcasters. So it's not necessarily the case that people are being put off paying uh, by the public broadcaster, but it does have an effect on, on how people think about what's available uh, online. And more broadly, I think there's a, there's a, what some people have called a culture of free online so kind of a belief that what people uh, access online even though they're willing to pay for for their internet service provider the hardware and so on but often people think that what what's available online uh, should be free so there's a kind of culture of free but one of the interesting questions is whether uh, netflix and spotify and other sort of popular services which uh, offer premium content uh, behind a paywall—is this whether this is changing people's perception of of how content works on the internet? Uh, and if that's the if that's the case, then it could be the case that um, indirectly news organisations might benefit uh, from the idea that's being created that some forms of online media uh, are seen as worth paying for.
0: Is there anything that publisher can actively do to convince uh, their audiences to pay?
1: I mean, I think, as I say, I think the most important thing is, is convincing people uh, that they're, what they're offering uh, has value. Uh, beyond that, there's no one thing that I think will will work for everyone. Uh, but there are some small things I think publishers can do that will appeal to particular groups. So price is always going to matter. So I think that this is a particularly sort of sensitive issue uh, and it's important to get the pricing right. But the other thing that often comes up frequently Uh, is the ability to access more than one source uh, in the same place. So as I mentioned earlier, the most common way of paying at the moment is a single subscription to uh, one news brand. But this, of course, is quite different to what people have perhaps come to expect from services like Netflix and Spotify, where you can access multiple uh, sources uh, in the same place. Now, I think that there's lots of reasons why this uh, perhaps wouldn't work uh, for news publishers. Uh, but at the same time, there is an expectation uh, from audiences that this is what they should be should be able to get, um, and it might be difficult for for those in the industry to to convince people that that news should be should be seen differently uh, in some way. But of course, it's not just with with companies like Netflix and Spotify. It's not just that they bring together lots of sources in the same place, but they also um, offer people. Uh, different ways of logging in so people can spread out their, their logins with their families. Uh, and also uh, there's uh, some no ad experience but and also just really good user interfaces and user experiences that perhaps uh, news publishers uh, could learn from in some way.
0: So thinking about the product and not just about the content. Um- there is a long-standing debate um, about whether paywalls are bad for society and contribute to create more inequalities. And again, the coronavirus crisis, as to be honest, any other major crisis, highlighted the importance for people to have access to reliable and timely information, even prompting some publisher to give free access to all or some of the content and drop in the paywall. In the UK specifically, there was an instance in April when the Sunday Times published a paywall expose of how the UK government handled the outbreak, which generated a very heated debate on Twitter about um, people uh, who were sharing the article bypassing the paywall. So what do people think about the rights and wrongs of attempt, attempting to sidestep the paywall?
1: I mean, you're right. This 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 particular story generated a, a large conversation uh, on Twitter, but I think it's also fair to say that uh, this isn't an issue that uh, uh, most people have strong feelings about. So when when we asked people about this, again, this was before coronavirus, and I think coronavirus might have thrown the issue into into sharper relief. But when we asked about this before before the crisis, uh, only a small minority of people said they were either concerned about themselves missing out on information that sits behind a paywall, or they were concerned about others uh, missing out uh, on that information. Um, Coronavirus, I think, is is interesting because I think it's it's such a big and important story uh, that uh, perhaps uh, people think about this differently, and this is perhaps why uh, some publishers have decided, for this and for other reasons, to make their coronavirus coverage uh, available uh, for free. Um but at the same time, it, I wonder whether this will have a, a lasting impact on 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 how people think about uh this issue. And one of the reasons for this, I think, is that it's worth remembering that uh if we look at how things work before the internet, uh this wasn't a major concern even when people were were buying uh, mostly buying one newspaper and sticking to that. Uh, and hardly anyone ever used uh, newspapers from from overseas. So I think in a way we, we've got used to a world uh, where we can access news from lots of different uh, newspaper brands in particular uh, at, at our fingertips. Uh, but this isn't how it's always been, and I don't think there was a huge amount of concern about this issue uh, you know, before, before uh, the 1990s, for example.
0: Thanks Richard Um, and thank you for joining us um, today on on this podcast and thank you for listening to our third episode of the Digital News Report 2020. Um, In the next episode we'll talk about how to create news habits in your audience and we'll look specifically at newsletters and podcasts. If you missed the first two episodes where we look at the main findings of the report and the future of local news, you can find them on our podcast channel on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Um, Make sure you follow the channel so you don't miss our next episodes. Um, you can find a full report um, online at digitalnewsreport.org. And if you really don't want to miss any news from the Institute, you should subscribe to our weekly newsletter um, through our own page on the website um, or clicking um, the link on our Twitter bio at RISJ underscore uh, Oxford. We'll be back next week with our fourth
1: episode. Thank you. Pick up a copy anytime you choose. Seven little pennies in the newsboy's hand. and you ride right along to Never Never Land.